The Supreme Court met today to hear a case regarding a deaf student, Miguel Luna Perez of Sturgis, Michigan, who was denied access to a professional sign language interpreter and whose parents were falsely told over the course of 12 years their son was on his way to graduation only to receive a certificate of completion. The case concerns two laws, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, or IDEA, which requires children with disabilities to be provided a free appropriate public education, or FAPE, and the Americans with Disabilities Act, or ADA, which prohibits discrimination against individuals with disabilities in general. Upon receiving the news, the Perez family filed a lawsuit against the Michigan Department of Education and the Sturgis School Board on the grounds that the school violated both the IDEA and ADA acts. However, before the case could go to trial, Sturgis School District offered a settlement in which it would pay for Perez to attend the Michigan School for the Deaf and compensate the family's legal fees. The family accepted the settlement, but then continued their lawsuit under the ADA, which, unlike IDEA, entitles victims of disability discrimination to sue for monetary damages. The question now before the court is whether, by accepting the district's settlement, did the Perez family forfeit their right to further litigation for monetary damages? Prior to the Supreme Court hearing the case, the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that had Perez not agreed to a settlement, he could have continued his case under the ADA. But because Perez did not go through the two-step process mandated by the IDEA Act, consisting of informal resolution between parents and the district, and administrative review by an impartial hearing officer before going to federal court, and instead deciding to settle or, in legalese, exhaust his claim, he was not entitled to sue under the ADA, as stipulated by the IDEA Act Section 1415L. On behalf of Perez, his lawyer, Roman Martinez, opened the arguments. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court, for 12 years, Sturgis neglected Miguel, denied him an education, and lied to his parents about the progress he was allegedly making in school. This shameful conduct permanently stunted Miguel's ability to communicate with the outside world. It also violated two federal statutes, the IDEA and the ADA, giving different remedies to victims of discrimination. Miguel responded by doing everything the IDEA wants him to do. He filed an IDEA agency claim. He followed the IDEA settlement procedures, and he accepted a favorable settlement, giving him full IDEA relief, including an immediate FAPE. Sturgis wants you to hold that this settlement extinguishes Miguel's separate and distinct rights to money damages under the ADA. You should reject that. I want to emphasize three points. First, the text only requires exhaustion if a non-IDEA claim seeks relief that's actually available under the IDEA. Exhaustion isn't required in cases like this one seeking only money damages, a remedy the IDEA does not authorize. Second, Miguel's settlement fully exhausted the IDEA procedures. Further exhaustion is unnecessary and it's futile because it would be pointless. Miguel has already received everything he's entitled to under the IDEA statute. And third, the net effect of Sturgis's arguments here is to defy the IDEA's clear purpose. That purpose is twofold. One, getting kids a FAPE as quickly as possible, and two, preserving their legal rights under other statutes in the Constitution. Sturgis puts these goals on a collision course with each other. In any given case, its rule will either disincentivize settlements and block immediate FAPE relief, or it will nullify rights under other statutes. That makes no sense. 
Congress didn't punish kids for saying yes to favorable IDEA settlements. One way or the other, this case should proceed. I welcome the court's questions. In a surprise twist, the normally silent Clarence Thomas was the first to pose a question expressing confusion about the differences between the ADA and IDEA Acts. Martinez responded by agreeing with Thomas. The difficulty I'm having is I can't see where ADA fits in with IDEA. Right. That it seems to be an entirely different remedy. And whether we, when we have PLRA cases, et cetera, it's usually about the same thing. A hundred percent, Your Honor. I think that's exactly the right way to think about the statute. And I think what Congress was trying to do here was essentially say, we want you to have rights under both statutes. We want you to be able to go into court if necessary and vindicate your separate rights to separate types of relief under both statutes. But in, circumstances, in certain circumstances, we want you to go through the IDEA administrative procedures first. And the text of the statute says that if your ADA claim is only seeking things that you can't get under the IDEA, in the words of Fry, if the consequence of your ADA claim, if you brought it in the IDEA procedure, would be that the IDEA hearing officer would have to send you away empty-handed because that statute just does not provide you that type of relief, that type of relief is not available, then you do not have to exhaust. On the side of Sturgis, Shea Dvoretsky then presented his argument. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court, when Congress enacted Section 1415L, it channeled all FAPE denial claims through the IDEA's exhaustion procedures. Congress carefully crafted those procedures, and it wanted parents and school districts to go through them because of the primacy of a FAPE. Congress's choice helps answer both questions presented, plus the third that Mr. Perez wants to add. On the first question, Congress's choice shows that the word relief in 1415L means redress for harm, not a specific remedy. When a plaintiff complains of a FAPE denial, relief is available under the IDEA, and the plaintiff must exhaust. Any other test would allow plaintiffs to circumvent the exhaustion requirement Congress carefully crafted by using the magic word damages and going straight to court. On the futility question, Congress's choice explains the unusually specific words that Congress wrote. A plaintiff must exhaust to the same extent as would be required had the action been brought under the IDEA. That directive reflects Congress's focus on delivering a FAPE, and it makes two things clear. One, exhausting a non-IDEA claim means obtaining an administrative decision from an educational expert, just as an IDEA plaintiff must do before going to court. That's why Mr. Perez's improper new argument that settles equals exhaustion is incorrect. An IDEA plaintiff cannot sue after settling. Thus, neither can a non-IDEA plaintiff. Two, settlement doesn't excuse exhaustion. Neither the unavailability of damages nor settlement constitutes futility under the IDEA. Futility may excuse exhaustion where a court can grant relief that a hearing officer can't. But neither a hearing officer nor a court can award IDEA damages or adjudicate a settled claim. Thus, to the same extent, neither the unavailability of damages nor settlement constitutes futility for an ADA claim. I welcome the court's questions. Normally, a judge would grant an exemption as settling the case would have impacted Perez's ability to sue under the ADA. However, the Sixth Circuit Court judge according to Dvoretsky, said that because Perez settled prior to proceeding to a full hearing, he had forfeited his claim. Justice Thomas asked Mr. Dvoretsky to explain how such cases would be settled 
prior to the congressional adoption of the IDEA's Section 1415L in 1986, which was done in response to another 1984 Supreme Court case. This elicited a response from Ketanji Brown Jackson regarding the section's text. In response, Mr. Deboretsky said the section originally focused less on financial relief and more so on helping a student obtain a FAPE. So, Justice Thomas, if it's a state law tort action, which I understand to be the, yeah. the premise of your question, then I think, no, you would not have IDA exhaustion. And that's because of the language of 1415L, which says nothing shall be construed to restrict or et cetera, rights under the Constitution, the ADA, the Rehabilitation Act, or other federal laws. So the was there before you had L, this provision, 1415L, did you have an exhaustion requirement? Before fifteen, before fourteen fifteen L, uh, the fifteen fourteen fifteen L was a response to the court's decision in Smith. Yeah, and, and under the court's understanding in Smith, all FAPE-related claims had to proceed through the IDA exclusively. So an exhaustion requirement wasn't really relevant because you simply couldn't bring non-IDA FAPE claims isn't that, at all. Isn't that, isn't that what's happening here with your interpretation of the statute? I mean, that's sort of what concerns me, that it was clear that you, uh, you're right, that there was a, uh, an attempt on the part of Congress to respond to Smith, um, and it would seem as though Congress was trying to make clear with the statutory language that we're interpreting, that they did not want all uh, claims arising out of these circumstances to have to go through the process. So how do you square um, that, the kind of abrogation piece of this with, with your argument? Justice Jackson, two points. One about the, the history and context, and the other about the language of the statute that co the Congress actually enacted. With respect to the, the history and context, Smith really did three things, and Congress's response was not to overturn all of them. Uh, one, Smith said no attorney's fees under the IDEA. Congress changed that. Two, Smith said no non-IDEA FAPE claims, and Smith did, and uh, 1415L did overturn that. But the third thing Smith said was that it had a concern with circumventing the IDEA's procedures. And Congress, in fact, reaffirmed that concern by, on the one hand, allowing non-IDA FAPE claims to be brought, but on the other hand, channeling them first through the IDEA's exhaustion procedure. But, only, that's, the but, but that's not what the language says. The language says to the extent or if they are seeking the same relief, number one, and if we read it the way that you want to read it, doesn't, don't we end up going back to the part of Smith that you even agree Congress overturned, which is the part about um, whether or not we can have non-IDEA IDEA FAPE claims, because as Justice Barrett pointed out earlier, you know, through your analysis, it would seem as though you wouldn't have any ability to bring an ADA claim um, if someone, you know, is successful on the IDEA claim. Justice Jackson, I don't think that that is the result of our analysis, and I also don't think that is the correct textual reading of the statute. The result of our analysis does allow for non-IDEA FAPE claims to be brought once the IDEA's exhaustion procedures um, have, been, have been followed. So all we're talking about here is that if you have a FAPE claim, you bring that to the IDEA hearing officer first. You get a FAPE, which is the primary relief that the IDEA is concerned with. And once 
once you have that, if you think you have an ADA claim to pursue, you can pursue that some number of months later. But Congress's focus, first and foremost, was on making sure that the, that the child gets a FAPE. With respect to the statutory text, I think all of this comes down to how we interpret, or how you interpret, the word relief in 1415L. And the word relief read in isolation can mean one of two things. It can either mean redress for a harm, or it can mean a specific remedy. If you have a case, as I think is stipulated at this point in this, in this court, where the gravamen of the complaint is the denial of a FAPE, then that is the harm that is being redressed. More on this developing story next week, only on Disabulletin. Until then, I'm Abe Shapiro, WFHB News, Live and Learn.